0: Please remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 56. In today's sermon text, Philip is going to come upon the Ethiopian uh, reading from Isaiah 53. Well, just a few pages later, it's striking to hear something else that Isaiah says. So let's listen closely together to Isaiah 56, 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Amen. And now let's turn to our text, Acts chapter 9, chapter 8 rather. Verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. until he came to Caesarea. Amen. You may be seated. As many of you know, I recently got back um, from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church's General Assembly, and uh, that whole experience was very impactful for me. Um, And in particular, I, I would say that being there really expanded my horizons, my perspective on the church, uh, both the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and the global church. Um, to begin with, there were a lot of people there that I simply did not know. Um, I'm used to going to places and knowing a lot of the people because they're from the same region as I am. Um, but many of these people, of course, were from other parts of the country, uh, from other, many from other parts of the world as well. Uh, one of the best parts, in fact, is when we got to hear from what are called fraternal delegates. And these are these pastors from other denominations, including denominations overseas, for example, in Europe or in Korea and so on. And they would report on what was happening in their churches and um, how important <clears throat> their relationship with the OPC was to them. And it was a great reminder that the Lord's work is so much bigger than my little frame of reference where I you know, walk around day by day and that the gospel is truly on the move. By the power of God, uh, both here in the U.S. and abroad, in many ways that I'm not even aware of, Um, although I'm more aware now um, thanks to that experience, which I'm very grateful for. Well, uh, there at the GA, we we came to Sunday evening, and um, they always have this big joint worship service for all of the commissioners and all of the nearby churches, and there are a lot of them in the Philadelphia area, so everybody's invited to come. and 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 the preacher for this service, whom I knew, in fact. Um, he taught me how to preach at, at Westminster. His name's Mark Slade, And he got up and he said, uh, please turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, which, of course, I was preparing, uh, I was looking forward to preaching on right after I got back uh, this very passage. And he unfolded from this passage in yet another way for us the expansiveness of the gospel. Um, He talked about how the gospel is and always has been on the move. Always pressing outward, he said, towards the outsider in particular. Towards those who are far away from God. To bring them near through Christ. And I I hope just to be able to share a glimpse of that vision that Christ is setting before us here in this passage. I'm going to do it in three parts. Uh, First, the sorrow of being excluded verses 26 to 31, second, the need for a gospel guide, verses 32 to 35, and third, the joy of being included, verses 36 to 40, so the sorrow of being excluded, the need for a gospel guide, and the joy of being included. So verse 26, uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza think about this, if, if, um, if Philip had been kind of strategizing where to go next after his mission in, Sam- in Samaria, um, this probably would not have been the next place on his agenda. Uh, so um, Samaria is north of Jerusalem, and that's where Philip has been ministering. Gaza is way down to the south and west of Jerusalem. Um, near the Mediterranean, a very different direction, and the road to Gaza was not a particularly obvious place to go and do evangelism, quote-unquote. Luke even says this. He says, this is a desert place. There are a couple things to note from this. First of all, it reminds us that, as we've seen many times in Acts, that the early spread of the gospel and the early growth of the church is happening not at all according to some cleverly devised scheme that the apostles have come up with or anybody else. It's proceeding according to the sovereign plan of the Lord Jesus Christ from his ascended heavenly throne. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who's in charge of the progress of the church, and the church is spreading where he wants it to go on his timeline, according to his strategy. And think about back uh, earlier in chapter 8, why Why did the gospel spread to Samaria? It was not because anybody planned a missions trip there. It was because of persecution. It was because the church was under fire back in Jerusalem. We can't stay in Jerusalem anymore. I guess we have to go to Samaria. And lo and behold, they take the gospel with them. Why? Because that was Christ's plan to accomplish that mission he had set before the apostles in chapter 1. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So the conversion of the Samaritans then was Christ's doing by his Holy Spirit working sovereignly through his church, Christ's church. And now that sovereignty of Christ is getting highlighted again uh, because Philip never in a million years would have picked this road to Gaza as his next missionary destination. But that's where Jesus sends him. It also reminds me of what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15 about how if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, what does that man do? He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. The son of man, Jesus says, came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what he did all through his earthly ministry. And that's what he continued to do then in the early church as he's doing here in chapter 8 of Acts. And we need to remember that's what he's continuing to do even today. That's what he's calling us to do in His name, in union with Him, to to press outward, to go towards all kinds of people who are far away from God, and to bring them near through Christ. So, who was on this road to Gaza? It was an Ethiopian, first of all. Uh, so, to begin with, he's a he's a foreigner. Um, it turns out he's a high ranking court official in Ethiopia. So he has. Uh, the resources to travel, and you look at how he's used these resources. He's used that opportunity to make his way from his home, which is in what's now Sudan, actually, uh, northward up uh, through Egypt, probably, um, a journey of somewhere around 1,800 miles. It's a long way from his home to Jerusalem. And why did he do that? Well, it's because he wanted to worship at Jerusalem all that way to worship at Jerusalem. He has this very deep interest in the religion of Israel. Luke also tells us, though, he's not only an Ethiopian, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. And to our modern ears, that sounds like kind of an odd detail to include. But in the context of the ancient um, East, uh, it would not be odd. This was a, a common practice for men who had positions attending to the women of a royal court. Um, This man was in the service of the queen, and so being a eunuch actually qualified him for that very high position of service to her. Um, But the problem was that when it came to Israelite religion, uh, the ceremonial law of Moses said that due to his physical condition, um, he was forbidden by the ceremonial cleanliness laws, Uh, Deuteronomy 23 verse verse 1, he was forbidden to, quote, enter the assembly of the Lord. That's the the public worshiping community of Israel. So he, he had come to Jerusalem for this one purpose, to worship, but once he got there, he would have found himself ceremonially, formally, on the outside looking in to that public worshiping community. Um, as that preacher I was talking about, Mark Salade, put it very nicely um, in his message on this text. He said that what qualified him for high-ranking service in a royal court at, back at home actually disqualified him from full participation in that worshiping community of Israel. You should just imagine the, the sorrow and the longing, the frustration of being so close and yet so far away. The remarkable thing, though, is that the Lord Jesus has specifically set his saving love and grace upon this man. So that exclusion that he experienced at Jerusalem is not going to be the end of his story. Jesus, from his ascended throne, sovereignly acting here, has sent his messenger, Philip, to meet this man to uh, connect the gospel dots for him. Uh, Verse 29, as the Spirit says to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And so he does, and he finds the man reading from his own personal copy of the book of Isaiah. The problem is he's, he's struggling to understand what it means, and this brings us to a second point, which is the need for a gospel guide. Uh, Philip runs up, and we shouldn't miss how kind of offbeat this whole picture is. And I think that's part of the point. It's almost comical um, to kind of visualize Philip running up alongside this guy's chariot and flagging him down saying, hey, I see you're you're reading Isaiah. And uh, it just underlines that this whole scenario is very much, uh, we would like to call it divine appointment. The Lord has supernaturally brought these men together. Um, so, that, so that Philip can tell him the gospel, so that this man can be saved. And just as an aside, thinking about this, I want to remember that God's providence is superintending all of our lives and all of our interactions, right? Now, we're not receiving the same kind of um, direct speech of God telling us where to go and what to do day by day uh, because we're living in a different era of salvation history, Um, This is unique in some ways, but God's providence is superintending everything about our lives as well. And um, that means that as we go through life day by day, there are any number of what we could call divine appointments. Opportunities set in our path by the Lord Jesus Christ from his sovereign ascended heavenly throne. Opportunities to speak the truth in love to somebody who, if they don't hear it from you, who are they going to hear it from? Because you are Christ's instrument, the ambassador, the messenger of this heavenly king to bear his message into their lives. It's amazing how carefully we so often avoid having any kind of significant conversations with people. Whether because we don't want to invest the time and energy or because we feel like it just might be awkward, afraid of making them feel that way. I want to share with you something Matthew Henry writes about, uh, about Philip's sort of awkward introduction to this man. He knows nothing about, but Matthew Henry reminds us of those of whom we know nothing else, we know this. That they have souls. I want to ask, do you see the people that you interact with day by day as people who have immortal souls? who are going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. Maybe people could do with a little more awkwardness from us. Willingness to go there. Willingness to to talk about these things that really matter, especially if the alternative is our silence. The alternative is them never getting a chance to hear the hope that is there for them in the Lord Jesus and so it's, just, it's special to see how Philip kind of embraces the awkwardness of this moment. He calls up to this man up in the chariot, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And this man embraces that opportunity. He says, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip might have thought, I'm not going to talk to this guy. He's never going to want me to well, think of what opportunity he would have missed. Think about what opportunities you and I might miss when someone might be quite willing and ready and eager to welcome us, to help guide them, to be their gospel guide. That's really our goal, isn't it? Think about it. Our goal, of course, is not to be awkward about communicating the gospel. Sometimes it takes embracing that awkwardness, pushing past our natural reticence. But real gospel witness is really about getting up in the chariot with somebody and becoming gospel guides. Becoming gospel guides. That's what we want to be for people. See, Philip doesn't just keep jogging alongside the chariot and just shouting a gospel monologue to this guy. He, he gets up in the chariot with him, and they go along together, and he's, he's able to invite genuinely and answer genuinely this man's questions about the word of God. This man knows that he needs a guide. He can't do it on his own. He cannot figure out Isaiah by himself. But the Lord has sent Philip to help him. And Philip is is willing to go up there with him to be his gospel guide. Now let's look at what he was reading, verse 32. What better passage could there be to start this conversation is Isaiah 53. That's the great suffering servant chapter. All about the one who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and who was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted and pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities. And now he's come to that passage where Isaiah says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And now justice was denied him, and his life was taken away from the earth. And what he can't figure out is, is, is he talking? who is who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about maybe himself? talking about the prophet? Is he talking about somebody else? Somebody yet to come, perhaps? Of course, it would be great... If every evangelistic conversation started this way, right? You meet a non-Christian and you get to talk and they're like, you know, I was reading Isaiah 53 the other day, and can you please help me understand what it means? It's usually not that easy. It usually takes a little bit more patience to bring a conversation or really a a relationship around um, so directly, to to bring the gospel so directly into focus. But remember, this, this moment has been supernaturally arranged by Christ. It's on a fast track here. They've gotten straight to the point... And so beginning with this scripture, it says Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Philip becomes his gospel guide. He gives him, he offers to him this mental map for navigating the scriptures and seeing how from Genesis to Malachi they're all pointing to Jesus. The whole Old Testament is pointing to the Lord Jesus. It should remind us, I think, of another conversation on another road that the same writer Luke, told us about. And that was the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus in Luke 24. Philip is simply doing for this man the same thing that Jesus did for Cleopas and his friend that day. When you remember Luke 24, it says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, walking along the road together, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning the. Himself, The whole testament, Jesus was showing them, unfolding for them, giving them that mental map to see how it all is pointing to him. Now Philip is following that same pattern on another road. I don't think that it's fanciful to imagine that Philip might have also directed this man's attention in the process just three chapters ahead. Uh, To that passage we read earlier, Isaiah 56, and you just think how richly personal and profound it would have been for this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, to read, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Just imagine. Instead, uh, the Lord Jesus is telling this man, that for people like you, people like you, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, what am I going to do? I'm not going to exclude you. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to give you in my house and within my walls a name better than sons and daughters. Isaiah is speaking to the foreigners who have joined themselves to the Lord. That's what this man is. And he tells them, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And you may remember Jesus himself quoting that very verse. Remember when he cleansed the temple. And then Isaiah concludes there, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to and besides those already gathered. That is really the trajectory of the entire book of Acts. That's the point of this chapter. Christ is gathering to himself yet others besides those already gathered. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. To an Israelite's imagination, their kind of geography of the, of the world, Ethiopia would, was pretty much the end of the earth for them. The end of the known world. And Christ is extending his grace so purposefully, so specifically to include this outcast in the words of Isaiah. What Mark Salade, a couple Sundays ago, called the, the ultimate outsider an Ethiopian eunuch. And he's drawing him in. And he's giving him a place in his house and a future better than sons and daughters. Just like Isaiah promised. So let's look at his response then. At the end of the chapter, this is the third point, the joy of being included. Verse 36, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from from being baptized. He's heard the good news. He's, the, the Holy Spirit has moved his heart to embrace this hope that Philip has just been describing to him. And we should not miss here how unexpected, how kind of out of the blue this man's baptism is. Who would have guessed that the next person to become a Christian, the next person to get baptized, would not be a Jewish person, not even a distant relative of the Jews like the Samaritans, but someone from Hundreds and hundreds of miles away, this remote civilization, and yet he too, he too can come to Jesus and receive the forgiveness of his sins and the hope of eternal life for him, because Jesus died and rose for him too i 've always been fascinated by verse thirty nine after the baptism when it says the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the the eunuch saw him no more, and it, it might remind us of um, maybe, maybe Elijah. 1 Kings 18, 2 Kings 2, where people speak of the prophet Elijah as though the Lord might do this to him. Uh, but perhaps more significantly, it continues the parallel with Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus. Because remember after the end of that story with Cleopas and his friend, Jesus vanished from their sight after he broke the bread at their house. And I'm not sure what more we should really make of it, except maybe to emphasize one more time the sovereignty of Christ. Um, that he's in control here, that he's the one who is directing Philip's ongoing missionary activity as the Holy Spirit now sets him in a new field as he continues to preach the gospel all the way northward now to Caesarea, which is going to be, become an important city in the remainder of the book. But where, where I'd really like to conclude here is uh, with the last thing Luke says about the Ethiopian eunuch, where it says, he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing so this foreigner who was ceremonially excluded from the assembly of God's people in Jerusalem has now received the grace of being included in the saving work of Jesus included in the family of God included in the sign of the covenant you just think this this man could not receive the old covenant sign he he couldn't it couldn't be done but Christ has made a way for him to receive the new covenant sign. I love the catechism's definition of adoption in Christ. When it says adoption, this is for each one of us, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God and such we are. I love Ephesians 2.13 when it says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ. That's really the story for each one of us. Remember, Paul says that you were, to begin with, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what we're like by nature because we're sinners, because we're cut off from God by our rebellion, by the corruption of our hearts, not merely by some ceremonial formal rule, but by the inward corruption of and guilt that pollutes our entire nature apart from Jesus. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead. You're forgiven now. You're accepted now. And that should send all of us today on our way rejoicing like this man, rejoicing that we have been welcomed, that we have been forgiven, that we have been included in the family of God. should send us out eager also to be gospel guides for others, to help them to find the same welcome, the same forgiveness, the same inclusion. Let's never forget, as I was reminded at that GA service by that other preacher, that expansiveness of the gospel, that the gospel is and always has been on the move, always pressing outward, toward the outsider, towards those far away from God, to bring them near through Christ. And let's rejoice together in that expanding, outward-moving, ingathering gospel good news. And let's join energetically in that outward movement, welcoming others all that we can to taste that freedom and belonging and welcome and joy that's to be found in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we who were far off, you have brought near through the blood of Christ. And we pray that you would please uh, show us now and help us to see with the eyes of faith uh, that blood of Jesus and his body given for us in the Lord's Supper. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.